0: Before we begin our lesson tonight, we have a visitor with us, Brother Trent Key, who is the preacher at the Mount Leo Congregation, and his sweet wife, Amanda, we're glad to have them with us tonight. And Brother Trent is here to make us aware of a very good program that is going on at the Mount Leo Congregation, and so for just a few minutes, he's going to make us aware of that, and then after that, I'll come back up and
1: uh, deliver our lesson. Brother Trent. certainly want to thank the elders for the opportunity to be able to announce this great work that's been going on for several years. Many of you have probably heard of this work before. It is known as the School of Bible Emphasis. The School of Bible Emphasis is out of Athens, Alabama. It originated with the West Hobbs Street Church of Christ. You might have heard of that down there in Athens, Alabama. You also might recognize a familiar name Jimmy Clark. Jimmy Clark has been the director and overseer of this great work for uh, for a great while. His father was over it for a while before uh, Jimmy took over. But in that, Jimmy uh, and he uh, Jimmy and other men like him, such as Bill Irby and a couple others, will come up to this area here in McMinnville to deliver lessons from God's Word. And whenever I say deliver, it's more of a Bible class uh, setting. It's an opportunity for us to maybe open up the Scriptures and to look a little bit more in depth. I know that Tony and myself as ministers, we can only go so far within the Scriptures from the pulpit in a sermon, but this gives the opportunity to sit down in a Bible class and to be able to look at God's Word in a more deep level and to be able to gain further insight to what God desires for each and every one of us. But this is known as the school of Bible emphasis, and the Mount Leo congregation has hosted this for the past 20 plus years at the educational building that's just directly ac- across the street from our building. And what we want to do, we want the elders have met with myself over the past couple weeks and said, "Trent, how do we build the uh, audience for this?" And I volunteered to go around to various congregations and to make them aware of this great work. And tonight we're doing simply that. I hope that you here at Bobby Branch can take advantage of this opportunity. I know Brother Clemens has been over to see us on a couple of occasions already, and we would certainly love to have many of you over as well to participate in this wonderful work. When does this happen? It's every second and fourth Monday of every month, and it goes all the way through the end of April. In fact, the next time that we will meet will be November 25th, we will begin at 7 p.m., and whenever we begin at 7, we'll go for about 45 minutes to about an hour, and we will break and have a period of snacks. Not only is it a good opportunity for us to, uh, to participate and be fed off of God's Word, but we can feed ourselves physically and have great fellowship. You know, one thing that I've noticed since I've moved here is there are a lot of congregations here in Warren County And there is a great opportunity for us to go to events such as this, School of Bible Emphasis, and to have that fellowship with one another. So it's a good opportunity for that as well. But after that snack period, we go back to studying God's Word for, again, another 45 minutes to an hour. And we'll break around 8.45 to 9 o'clock and we'll end the night in prayer and uh, everyone will go on their way. I certainly hope that each and every one of you will consider this work. And coming to join us in our discussions over there and uh, hopefully be encouraged by the things that are happening there. Again, want to thank the elders for this opportunity to announce this great work and hope to see you very soon. Brother Tony.
0: I have been to the class a number of times, uh, particularly when Brother Woodson was teaching the class, And I can tell you it is a great opportunity to be able to listen and to learn at the feet of some very great men. Tonight, we're going to continue in our study of favorite Bible passages. And uh, I chose for a few weeks some of the ones that have been great passages to me, ones which have some real deep meaning. And tonight we're going to study Psalm 133. And the great emphasis passage is verse one. But if you'll remember, a couple of Wednesday ni- or Sunday nights ago, we discussed Psalm 122, and that's a part of what is called the Psalms or Songs of Ascents. And from Chapter 120 to Chapter 134, these were songs that were sung as the children of Israel were going to Jerusalem for the three. Annual feast, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Passover, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And what I want you to get in mind this was a time of joy, a time of happiness, a time of camaraderie. Uh, The people were thrilled with this opportunity. And in some ways, not all, this was a spiritual event, not a secular one. But just like, for instance, many of you who are uh, Tennessee volunteer fans, if you go up to Knoxville on a Saturday and maybe on the way you're listening to Rocky Top play about a hundred times, Don, and uh, you know you're trying to, uh, you're enjoying the the festivities of it. I want you to understand the Psalms of Ascents were very important because these people would sing these songs as they were going to Jerusalem, and they were very important to them. And I can compare them for us with our songs on unity. Brother Stanley came by and I mentioned to him, I said, "There's some songs that I'm going to mention tonight. I said, "Like, how sweet, how heavenly is the sight, Blessed be the tie, bind us together in a common love." Well, the first three songs have been three of the four that I mentioned. And they are songs which emphasize, and if you listen to the words, and which is what we should be doing, you will see the thoughts of this lesson contained in the words of those songs. Uh, I think about how when uh, the young people get together, Steve Hillis always is going to lead a common love at the end of every uh, opportunity that we have to assemble together. That's a wonderful thought. And uh, tonight I want to emphasize that as you make a comparison between what occurred in physical Israel, there's some things there that ought to be in spiritual Israel. And spiritual Israel is the church. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians, in Galatians 6 and verse 16, he said, As many as walk according to this rule, peace be and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God today is the Lord's church. And so I want to look at two things in our lesson tonight. And it's going to be uh, very to the point and it's not going to be drawn out or extended. It's going to be the beauty of unity and then the benefit of unity. Let's begin with this first part. And I want you to look, as we're going to look at the first three verses. And we're going to only look at the first part of verse 3. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren... To dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head. Running down on the beard. The beard of Aaron. Running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon. Descending upon the mountains of Zion. Wow if you think about those words. Think about the word. Behold, that's something to see, something to appreciate, a wonder. For instance, think about John chapter 1 and John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word behold is to focus our minds, focus our attention, to think about it. How good and pleasant. You know, sometimes I read through the Bible and I see adjectives there and I think, well, they're they're descriptive terms. But then when you start looking at them a little closer, you see the the value of them. For instance, things that are good versus things that are not good. You remember Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 1 and 2? Chapter 1 verse 31, Then God saw that everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. So was the evening and the morning of the sixth day. Whatever God did, it was all good. And then when you take it all together, it was very good. But you come to chapter 2, verse 18, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. God is holding out and saying, Some things are not good. Unity among God's people is something that's really good. But what else is interesting to me is that when you look at the original word for good here, as it is used throughout the Old Testament, sometimes it's translated beauty. And that's where you really begin to appreciate some of this. Like, for instance, in Genesis 24, verse 16 now the young woman was very beautiful to behold a virgin no man had known her and she went down to the well filled her pitcher and came up When you describe a woman that's her looks are attractive that's the word that you would use First Samuel 25 verse 3 talking about Abigail Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife was Abigail and she was a woman of good understanding, and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Now, I know that when you think about Rebekah and Genesis 24, or you think about Abigail in First Samuel 25, you think about good. How it's beautiful. We would say good looking. That's the, the thought in mind here. When you see a congregation of God's people who are one with each other, that's beautiful. That's a good-looking congregation. But then the word pleasant. And when you find that word, you can find out that it's used in a number of different ways. For instance, in 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, these are the last words of David. This, thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says, the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The word sweet there is the same word for pleasant. You know, there are sometimes that uh, you are given medicine, and when you take it, it's bitter, tastes bad. On the other occasion, sometimes you can have medicine that has been given some sort of flavoring and it's sweet and it's pleasant to the taste. Psalm 147 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. We're talking about something that is sweet to God and should be sweet and pleasant to us how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When I think about that, I think about Genesis 13. Do you remember the background behind Genesis 13? Abraham and his nephew Lot had begun to be very successful. Their herds, their flocks, everything they owned began to spread out to the point where the land was no longer capable of sustaining both of them in the same place. And obviously, as you have people who are scrambling together to use the same resources, there's going to be some sort of conflict. And so we read, verse 6, Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Pezrites then dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between me, you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. And notice that last phrase there. For we are brethren. We're brethren. We want to be the kind of people that can, because we are brothers, care about one another love one another, appreciate one another, and dwell together in unity, dwell together in harmony. But you see, the children of Israel knew what strife looked like. And it's not pretty. You go back to the beginning and you find Cain and Abel and you see the kind of strife that developed between brothers to the point where Cain arose and killed Abel. You think about a little bit later in about Ishmael being the son of a bondwoman. And you think about Isaac being born as a son of promise. How Isaac, as he was weaned, Ishmael began to mock him and make fun of him. You know that's the reason why Hagar and Ishmael were cast out. The kind of strife that sometimes developed. You may not know that a lot of the struggle in the Middle East today goes all the way back. To the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael. Think about Jacob and Esau. This morning I mentioned about how that Jacob purchased the birthright of Esau. And then from that developed some very hard feelings and some some ill will. Do you know that also continued for generations to come? The Edomites, the book of Obadiah, and... The children of Israel, the strife that was between them, they knew what struggle was and strife was. But David, as a sweet psalmist of Israel, saw it in his own family as well. What's sad is what occurred with Amnon and Absalom. Amnon humbled his sister, that is, he raped her. And she was the full sister of Absalom, and that caused some great conflict. Second Samuel thirteen twenty two, and So Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. You understand what strife is. <clears throat> Those of you who have children in your own family that do not get along, you know that that's not a, a very pleasant situation. Many times when families get together for the holidays and you know there's some strife, some difficulty there, that's not good, that's not pleasant, that's not enjoyable. In a spiritual sense, when you have a congregation of God's people and there's strife and there's conflict and there's difficulty, that's not good, that's not pleasant. But oh, when you enjoy it, how pleasant it is but he's going to use two different illustrations. One from the spiritual realm, one from the secular realm or the the physical one. And the first one is that of the anointing of Aaron. When you think of prophet, priest, and king, they were all anointed with oil. They would pour oil on their head and it would run down on their beard And then from their beard, it would drip onto their garment. And you might say, well, that's messy. The reason why is because you're thinking of Quaker State motor oil. Or you may be thinking of of, uh, vegetable oil or cooking oil. That's not what you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about perfumed olive oil. Let me give you a little little illustration. If you go back to Exodus chapter 29, and you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. Well, you say, well, what is that anointing oil? You drop down to chapter 30, and he gives you the explanation of it. Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. You see, and he will go on to say that you are to combine these according to the perfumer's And what he's describing here is something which would be a very fragrant oil, something that smells good. And you start saying, oh, how good and how pleasant that when they anointed that head of Aaron and that oil began to run down and began to run down on his garment, it was a beautiful smell. Something that was pleasant to be seen, to be appreciated. And to be enjoyed. Then a second illustration, again, is something that might be difficult for us to appreciate. Mount Hermon is the northernmost part of Israel today. And it was the northern part. It's right next to Dan. The Bible, for instance, describes the uh, northern and southern parts of Israel as from Dan to Beersheba. Well, Dan is right at the foot of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is a very, very tall mountain which snow falls, dew falls, and it runs down the various crevices till it comes down and forms the Jordan River. The Jordan River then flows into the Sea of Galilee, and from the Sea of Galilee, it flows south into the Dead Sea, and it waters Israel all the way down to. Jerusalem, wow, Mount Hermon is the source of the blessings. You think about the blessings we enjoy and from which they come, and that's the idea that is found here. But the second thing is the benefit of unity. And the last part of verse 3 is very short, but it's packed with a lot of meaning. For there the Lord commanded a blessing. Life forevermore. Wow. You go back and notice there is where the Lord bestows the blessing. He's talking about the kind of blessing that was brought about by the anointing of Aaron's. Beard and head. He talked about the blessing that was brought about by the dew falling on Mount Hermon. But he's also talking about the blessing that is derived from the good and pleasant brethren dwelling together in unity. There's a benefit from it. And then he explains the blessing is life evermore. I'm always amazed when I read these Critics of the Bible and these infidels is what they really are. And they look back at the Old Testament and they say, well, in the Old Testament there's no real uh, view of eternal life, that everything's only here and now. Oh, I don't believe that at all. When you talk about life forevermore, that's pretty plain. You're looking at eternity. I want you to understand, unity has the potential... To To affect eternal life. Y'all realize that? If we are as God wants us to be, standing together full and firm and whole, then we have the potential to do some great things as God would have us to do. If we stand divided, we don't. The people of God serve the Lord best when they're unified. And that's the reason why God commands peace among his people. Let me take you through some passages which I believe are very valuable. In Hebrews 12 and verse 14, the writer says, "...pursue peace with all people and holiness," now listen carefully, "...without which no one will see the Lord." You mean this is going to have the potential to affect whether I get to go to heaven or not? Yes, it will. You need to be pursuing peace. Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue things which make for peace and things by which we may edify one another. Do you know the context in which that appears in Romans 14? You have got a congregation of people that are composed, some Jew, some Gentile. You've got some people who believe that you only ought to eat vegetables, herbs. Some people believe you can eat meats and some, all kinds of meats. You have some people who have various views, but what he is doing, he's saying in these matters of opinion, you be generous with one another. I skipped one, so I'm going to have to go back. I didn't mean to touch the screen. Um, And then Ephesians 4 and verse 3, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, I want you to endeavor to work toward keeping this unity in a bond of peace. And then James chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What is he trying to talk about? There's two kinds of wisdom of this world. One wisdom says, I want what I want. How many times have you heard people say, That if you want to make it in life, you've got to be willing to stand up and put yourself forward. You've got to look out for number one. That's what the world says. What does God say when it comes to spiritual things? Here's what He says. You need to be pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. You must be full of mercy. You must be full of good fruits. You see, He's saying... It's not always about yourself. There are benefits that are derived from this. I want to take you to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12. When you read this passage, and I'm going to follow it with an illustration, this passage describes a lot about what unity can accomplish. Solomon says two are better than one. Because they have good reward from their labor. For if they will fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Do you see the principle that's involved? When you have unity, there are times when those of us who are struggling will have someone to help encourage us, lift us up. On the other hand, when we need to accomplish something, two can do something faster and better than one can. There was a father who had four sons. These four sons did not always get along very well. They didn't always agree with one another. The father thought about how I'm going to have to take these boys and teach them something. So he called all four of his boys together and he said, I want you to meet me out at this wood shop. He chose his strongest son and he gave him a piece of wood, a stick, and he says, I want you to break that. Of course, his strong son just took the piece of wood and snapped it right into two. He says, okay, I want to give you another one. So he gave him two pieces of wood now. And he took them a little harder, and but he snapped them in two. He says, okay, now I'll give you three. And he put the three pieces of wood together. And that time he had to grunt a little bit. But he was able to to push real hard, and he was able to break them. He says, okay, now I'm going to give you four pieces of wood. And the son, even though he was strong, the strongest of the sons could not break them. He said, boys, it's just like that. He said, if you stand alone, you stand by yourself, you think you're it, you can be broken. If two of you stand together, you're a lot stronger. But if all four of you stand together, nobody can be able to overcome you. What do you realize? The lesson that's in that it's based on the principle of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The devil can come after you. and You try to stand alone. It's going to be tough. But you call your brothers and sisters in. And you say, I need you to help me. I need you to stand with me. Do you realize the power that's available? The benefit of unity? There's a power and a consistent message. Amos uses an illustration in Amos 3 and verse 3, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? How can two people go unless they are agreed? Where they're going? What they're going to do? And the point is, are we walking with God? I think that's the two. But are we walking together together? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 10, Paul said, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. We ought to stand together with one voice. We ought to be the kind of people who, when it comes to the Lord's church, where does the Lord's church stand? Okay, right here is where we stand And you ask this one, same thing. You ask this one, same thing. Consistent message. The power of influence together. When Jesus is praying his prayer in John 17, he prays first for himself, then for his apostles. You get down to verse 20 and 21. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe on me through their word that they all may be one, Father, as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. We stand together and the world sees us standing together and respects us for it because we stand together with God. Matthew 12, 25, Jesus made it clear. He knew their thoughts and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. I might add that every congregation that does not stand together will fall. You read Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. No one likes strife and conflict but the devil. He likes it. He sows discord. God and godly people love each other and they love the truth. Peace with God and therefore peace with our faithful brethren is accomplished when we walk with God. Just a couple of last verses. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that we make with God, we're walking together, we're in unity. If you go to 1 John 1, verse 3, verse 7, That which we have seen we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. When we have fellowship with God and we're doing what we're supposed to do, then we also have fellowship with other faithful brethren. First John 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What a great passage that is. That's one reason why it's a favorite of mine. Do you want this evening to be unified with God's people. To do that, you've got to be one of God's children. You become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing that faith, and then being baptized. If you're one of God's children and you've been in a far country doing things on your own, or you and ungodly people, you need to come back home and Stand with God's people and do what is right. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and as we sing.